If you would, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. As we continue this Lord's Day and walking through the book of Galatians, today we'll be in verses 11 through 14. And as you turn there, I just ask that you would be uh, in prayer this afternoon. Our Poland team is going to be, they're scheduled to arrive in Louisville a little after 9 tonight. And I don't know about you, but I'm eagerly anticipating their return. Uh, I mentioned last Lord's Day, the, the Costco bacon. Well, today, the Costco bacon ran out. And so, it is time for everybody to be home. And uh, I am looking forward to that arrival. So, if you would pray with me for their trip. They're over the ocean right now. They'll be flying to Detroit and then from Detroit to Louisville. Uh, and pray with me for the ministry there. We, uh, each summer, have this opportunity to go and minister alongside our partner church there, Second Baptist Gdansk, but their work does not end when we leave. It very much begins and continues when we leave because now there's more outreach, more ministry to be done with the teens and children and families that are impacted through these outreaches. And so if you would join me in praying for them, uh, pray for them specifically in the coming weeks. Uh, there'll be a group from the church there in Gdansk that will be going to Ukraine a neighboring nation there, and they will be doing a ministry much like we do in Gdansk. They'll be taking and doing an outreach with children in various places in Ukraine, so be praying for that as well. As we talk about partnerships and partners in the gospel, we're reminded of where we find ourselves in the Word this Lord's Day. We find ourselves in Galatians, where Paul has a partnership Uh, He went to Galatia, he planted seeds of the gospel there, there was a church established, uh, but as we've seen after Paul left and went to other locations, other places to plant churches, uh, some false teachers came and began teaching some false gospels. Uh, primarily they were adding to the gospel of grace of our Lord Jesus and teaching these Gentile Christians that in order to truly be saved, they had to also adhere to the Jewish traditions and the Old Testament law and even things they had added to the Old Testament law over time. And so Paul has been confronting uh, this false teaching. Uh, He has been speaking of his own testimony. Uh, Last Lord's Day we looked at how there was that Jerusalem council where Paul and Barnabas and Peter and others were there with those leaders of the early church, uh, coming to an understanding of their need to stand united on the truth of the gospel. But as we will see in today's text, it's, it's not enough just to stand on the truth of the gospel. We need to walk in that truth as well. And when our walk does not match our talk, we need to be confronted by the word and we need to repent And that's what we'll see through today's text. We're going to look again at verses 11 through 14. So out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read this text for us. This is what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? 
you would pray with me. Father, we have worshipped, we have given as an act of worship, we have lifted our voices all because of the work of the gospel that has been done in our lives. But that work is not done. So we pray, God, that you would do a gospel work in us now through your word as we walk through it together. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I became a follower of Christ in the early 90s when I was a college student. I've shared my testimony many times with you. And one of the things I've mentioned in my testimony was how influential God used a Campus Crusade for Christ, used Colonial Baptist Church, the church I was at. And another thing God used in my life then was a, an evangelistic program called Evangelism Explosion. Uh, EE. This was a program that came out of a church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. D. James Kennedy uh, was the pastor there for years before he went home to be with the Lord. And, and this was a program that God used mightily. It simply was used to equip believers and churches to go out and share the gospel with their communities and with lost people. And so Kennedy, in using this program, they, their church tracked uh, how God used it, uh, not just in our own nation, but around the world. They would get feedback from churches and groups that would use Evangelism Explosion, and then they would kind of compile the results together. Uh, Kennedy noted at one point that as they were compiling the results of this evangelistic strategy, they began to, to correlate that the most frequent answers and objections really to the gospel. They began to see patterns and trends that whether it was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, or it was in the northwestern United States, or it was on the other side of the ocean, people had common objections to the gospel. And one of the top objections he noted was this. Over and over again, in many ways and many phrases, people would express their objection to the church by saying, the church is just full of hypocrites maybe you've heard that before <laughs> they would say in some way you know well, why respond to this why be a part of the church because the church is just full of hypocrites well i've mentioned kennedy's response to that many times as he heard that objection over and over again he finally said well there's always room for one more <laughs> but then he actually went on to caution people with this if you ever find the perfect church if you ever find that the hypocrite-free church, don't go in because you'll ruin it. <laughs> you see, we all struggle with this issue of hypocrisy. And yet, I wonder at times when we hear this concern from the world, from the world around us, from the unbelieving world that says the church is full of hypocrites, do, do they really even understand what a hypocrite is? Does the Scripture speak to this issue and if so, what does it tell us about it? Well, I think there's a lot for us to learn from the Scripture about this issue of hypocrisy, what it is, what a hypocrite is, what, what the fruit of it is, and how the Gospel speaks to this issue. And I think we find all of those things in this text today. As we come to this point in Galatians where Paul is recounting to the Galatians all the work that the Lord has done. He's just got done talking to them, writing to them about how at the council in Jerusalem there was this great gospel work where there was an agreement for standing on the truth of the gospel. That in unison they had pushed back this false doctrine, this heresy of the Judaizers. 
that, that he and Barnabas and Peter and others stood firmly rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that this council there, these leaders in the early church had then uh, really commissioned to an extent uh, Paul to go and, and minister to the Gentiles, Peter to go and minister to the Jews. But now Paul recounts how they found themselves at a later time there in Antioch together. Antioch was a city full of Gentiles, so the Christians there were, were Gentile believers. So much like Galatia, Paul is writing about a group of people who, who didn't grow up in the Jewish tradition, didn't grow up in the Old Testament law, well, were seen as outsiders by the Jewish community, but now have been reached by the gospel. And he's recounting about how there was a time there when he was there, Peter was there, Barnabas was there, but, but Peter's actions weren't in step with the gospel and he had to confront them. He's recounting a time when Peter acted in hypocrisy. And so as we look to how Paul calls out Peter here, I think there's something for us to learn about this issue of hypocrisy and how the gospel applies to it. Beginning with the first point there in your outline. We see here that hypocrites do not walk in the truth of the gospel. Hypocrites do not walk in the truth of the gospel. This was the issue that Paul had with Peter. Verse 11 says he opposed him to his face. Why? Because Peter, for some time there in Antioch, had been spending time eating meals with Gentiles. Now this was radical when you study Peter's life. This is radical when you consider what we learn in the book of Acts. Because there was a time early in the church when the Jewish Christians still that they had a disdain for the Gentiles. The Gentiles' habits of what they ate, their, their traditions, all these things were contrary to what the Jewish people had grown up with. So for example, the, the Jews had a very strict dietary code. And if they were to even consider eating certain foods, those foods were considered unclean. Now you go back in the Old Testament, you study this, you find God is teaching His people here about holiness. And he's teaching them about being set apart for His glory. He's teaching them to discern that there are things which are holy and things which are not. But, but rather than internalize this and understand what God was teaching them about their own hearts, the, the Jewish people simply held onto it as a law, as a list, and thought, well, if we can do this, 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 and this, we will be righteous. And those who don't do this, well, they are unrighteous. And that was the Gentiles. And so Peter there in the early church we learned in Acts chapter 10, he, he receives this revelation from the Lord that, that now that which he once considered unclean is clean. And what God's doing here is he's not just teaching him about a dietary code, he's teaching him to take the gospel to the Gentile people. And when you study the book of Acts, you see this is a major turning point in Acts chapter 10. Peter receives this revelation from God. He sees that those things, this food he once considered unclean is now made clean. He understands God is calling him to the Gentiles to share the gospel. He goes to Cornelius, to his household. And then what we see in the book of Acts is this door to gospel fruitfulness just burst wide open among the Gentiles. And then we see how the gospel began to spread to these non-Jewish people. And as you continue in Acts, you see very soon after that, the gospel goes to Antioch that these Gentiles in Antioch began to come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
And then at some point, Peter is there, Barnabas is there, Paul is there, other Jewish Christians are there, and they are gathering around the table together, and they are eating together, and they are fellowshipping together because of the work of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Then as we read through this passage, we find that at some point, this, this circumcision party, these Jewish Christians like the Judaizers who said, well, in order to, to truly be saved, you have to do these things over here, these works, that they arrive there in Antioch, and, and Paul notices that Peter and the others, and even Barnabas, their behavior changes. It's out of step with the truth of the gospel. And so Paul confronts Peter. He confronts him for being a hypocrite. See, in Paul's day, that that term applied to an actor who would put on a mask. And in putting on that mask, the actor was hiding their true identity, their true convictions. So, So the person there, the actor there, that they had one set of beliefs, one set of convictions, one identity, but they hid that identity with this mask. And when they put that mask on, they were playing the part of a hypocrite. Paul points out in applying this to Christians that a hypocrite then is a believer who acts the part of a non-believer. It's the Christian who covers their convictions with this mask of worldliness. It's when the fruit of their life has no discernible difference than the world around them. It's when a Christian says they know the Gospel They believe the Gospel, but their actions don't reflect the truth of the Gospel. And this was the case with Peter. I mean, think of what we know about Peter. We we certainly know about his his beliefs, what he knew. There's that encounter he has in the Gospels where where Jesus asks Peter, who who do people say that I am? Who who do you say that I am? And Peter makes that that great confession. He's the one who boldly steps forward and says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is what Peter believed. This is what Peter knew. And yet there were times we see in Peter's life where his actions did not reflect this knowledge and this belief. And we have an example of that here in Galatians 2. Where the way he acted, his walk, was inconsistent with what he knew and what he believed with his talk. See, when our walk doesn't match our talk, there we find hypocrisy so what about us today friend do you know the gospel the gospel that teaches us that in creation god created adam and eve in the garden that sanctuary it was all good he told them they could have anything there but not eat the free of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Adam and Eve sinned against God. They disobeyed them, and when they sinned, they passed that sin on to all of us. The Scripture says we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are born depraved. We are born with a sin nature. We see the fruit of that in many ways in our life. Whether it's disobeying a simple command like Adam and Eve did, don't eat the fruit of that tree, 
whether it's what Jesus said, well, you've heard you, you, you shouldn't murder someone, but I tell you, if you've called them a fool in your mind, you're a murderer. Been told not to be an adulterer. If you've thought lustfully about one, you're an adulterer. Jesus takes the law. He just, he just raises that standard to help us see. We, we are all sinners and all fall short of the glory of God. The gospel tells us then that the wages of that sin is death, that we deserve the wrath of God, but God is so gracious to us. He, he was gracious to Adam and Eve in the garden. He made a promise in Genesis 3.15 that a Messiah would come. He would destroy the enemy. He would go to the cross. He, he would die in our place. He would offer us eternal life. We, we see all that in the gospel. Do, do you know those things? Do, do you believe those things? Romans 10, 9 and 10, we learn it's not enough just to know it. We have to believe it and confess it. We have to believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. We have to confess Jesus as Lord. Have you made that confession? If I went around this room today and we took a tally, just just looking around, I think most of us, uh, most of you I know this morning, you you would say, you would agree, yes, I believe the gospel. Yes, Yes, I know the gospel. Yes, I've made that confession. But there's another question for us that we're presented from Galatians 2, and it's this. Are we walking in the truth of the gospel? It's not enough just to know and believe. Is our walk consistent with our talk? Now, I'm not asking, do you ever sin? <laughs> See, I think that this is where there's a confusion in the world around us about what a hypocrite is and a hypocrite is not. The world looks to the church and calls us a bunch of hypocrites when they just don't like something we do or something we believe. Or the world looks at the church and calls us hypocrites when they see us sinning. Friends, we will all struggle with sin. It doesn't mean we're a hypocrite. We're a hypocrite when we struggle with sin, but we put on a mask to say we don't. When we say we believe the gospel, we know the gospel, the gospel says that we're saved by faith, not by works, but then we put on a mask that says, oh, but I'm trying really hard, I deserve this. See, the world doesn't understand the gospel, so the world certainly can't understand hypocrisy, at least not from a biblical perspective in what it is. Now, I was reminded of that just this week, you probably saw on the news or in the papers, uh, Church in our commonwealth then in Cave City sent out a letter uh, dealing with church membership. People who, many of them hadn't been in their church for 20 years, uh, hadn't adhered to the covenant of that church, what they agreed to do when they came, and so the church basically removed them from membership. It has created quite a ruckus and quite a stir. I don't know all the details, not going to get into all the details, but I'll say this from my observation. It's always very interesting when the world tells the church what the church is supposed to be. <laughs> One that I noted a comment was someone who had received this letter and, and based on what I was reading that they had not been to this church in decades and their response to it was well I'll never step foot in that church again <laughs> quite a threat there isn't it another was someone who they, they mentioned in the context of this letter from the pastor he was quoting the church bylaws that the, the covenant what people agreed to when they joined the church and in the church's documents the bylaws of the church had talked about church membership is those who actively participate and contribute to the ministries of the church 
Well, then many said, oh, this is just a money-grubbing pastor. You know, he's just after people's money. I thought, really? Is that the best way to solicit funds? (laughs) I'm going to send out a letter to you saying you're not a member of our church anymore. Here's an envelope. The the, the world doesn't understand these things. The, The world doesn't get the gospel. And so it's easy for the world to look and say, oh, that church is just full of hypocrites, but they don't know what hypocrisy is. But the Scripture teaches us in the church, in the family, there is such thing as hypocrisy, and it tells us very clearly what it is. And it says hypocrisy is when we say we believe this, and we know this, and this is our conviction, and this is our talk, but our walk does not match it. When we say we stand on the truth of the gospel, but we don't walk in the truth of the Gospel. And that is Paul's objection here to Peter. And notice what Paul does. There's something to learn here. He confronts his brother in Christ when he's not walking in the truth of the Gospel. Uh, One more comment. I'll get off the church letter thing. The, The most hypocritical thing we can do in regards to church membership is never deal with it. That the most hypocritical thing for that church to do is to pretend like everything's okay and to put on a mask that it doesn't really matter if you ever go to church, if you're ever involved in the church, if you walked an aisle at some point in your life, if you were here for some portion of your life. It doesn't matter if your life is consistent with that, if you ever read the Word, if you believe the Gospel. Oh, that doesn't matter at all. Well, friends, that does not match up with what the Scripture says. The most hypocritical thing we can do in regards to sin is be passive towards it and never call one another out in it. The Scripture actually tells us, encourages us to go to one another, to deal with sin, that we might grow in sanctification together. And when we don't do that, then we are hypocritical because we're not walking in the truth of the Gospel. Point two, hypocrites we see in this passage are more concerned then with pleasing man than pleasing God. Hypocrites are more concerned with pleasing man than pleasing God. The Scripture tells us, verse 12, that certain men came from James. This is people who would have been really representing the church there in Jerusalem. It says they came, and, and when they, before they came, again, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. He was fellowshipping with the Gentiles. Other Jewish believers were. The, the Jewish believers, the Gentile believers, they're all coming together and fellowshipping in faith. And yet, when these others came, This party of people who had a problem with that, well then Peter seems to be more concerned with what they think than with with what God has said. He puts on a mask and he falls into hypocrisy. The text tells us because he was scared. What, What was he scared of? That there's no indication here in Galatians that the circumcision party were coming after him with knives and clubs. That there's no indication that he was under the threat of physical violence. That there's no threat to him. That there's no indication that they had any authority or power to throw him in prison or jail him for what he's doing. But they do have an opinion. And Peter wanted their opinion of him to be a favorable one. He was more concerned with the opinion of these Jewish Christians than he was over the Word of God. And this concern 
to please them led him into sin. And friends, this concern leads us into sin all the time. Let me just ask you to consider a few questions this morning. What, what concerns you more? What other people think about you? Or what God says of you? Who are you trying to please? With your attitude, with your action, with the words that come out of your mouth, with the things you say, with what you put out there in front of the public arena? Who, who are you thinking about when you make statements? Who are you considering as you just go through your life? Are you considering what others think about you? Are you primarily considering what God's Word says of you and what God thinks of you? See, Peter, in Acts chapter 10, God, God does this work in his life, and then he goes, and, and the door to the Gospel opens up among the Gentiles. He, he seems to be concerned here primarily with pleasing and obeying God. But then circumstances change. And when they do, it seems his attention shifts here to seeking to please man and not God. Are you more concerned about pleasing man or God? Now, that, that question, you know, are you seeking to please God, that, that can be kind of an ambiguous one. It's not really detailed. It's one where you can say, well, sure. Sure, I want to please God, but what does that mean? Well, well this is where the Scripture speaks to us and helps us very clearly to discern that which is pleasing to God and that which is pleasing to man and how the two are in contrast to one another. One example, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we, we learn what it means to please God, we learn what it means to please man, and we learn what it means to re repent of one and turn to the other. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I'm sure for many of us, okay, be imitate, beloved children, walk in love. I'm, I'm a very loving person. People always talk, oh yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm going to please God by loving others. Then he gets real specific. But the sexual, excuse me, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Is that specific enough? Because there's a lot more in the Word. See, what God does is His Word. Is he, he just shines a spotlight on our sin. And He does this out of His grace and His goodness and His love. Because He has something far superior for us. We are told by the world around us that that which will please us is best. Follow your heart, is what the world says. 
Now, what does the Word say? Your heart will deceive you. Friends, there is carnage. And there are lives and families shipwrecked because someone chose to follow their heart. That is not gospel. That is worldly, carnal rubbish. And it will bring you no lasting joy. And so God in His grace and His goodness here says, repent of those things, flee from those things, walk in the light, shine the light of the Gospel into the darkness of your soul, into the places where you fear if anyone ever found out about this, they'd never want to be around you again. And bring it into the light that the Gospel might expose it, that the burden might be lifted. But if we choose sexual immorality, impure living, covetousness, idolatry, foolish talk, crude joking, filthiness, among many other things. We're reminded here in Ephesians 5, we are choosing to please ourselves and others and not the Lord. And we indeed are a hypocrite. Number three, hypocrites often lead others then into hypocrisy. So Peter here it isn't just him that's being dealt with here. It's not just his issue, his sin. His sin is infectious to others. His hypocrisy is leading others to hypocrisy. It says in verse 13, when the rest of the Jews saw what Peter was doing, they acted hypocritically as well. And he points out even Barnabas was led astray. Well, why point out Barnabas? Well, you remember how we're introduced to Barnabas? You remember there in the book of Acts how Barnabas gets his name Barnabas? It means son of encouragement. I mean, Barnabas is the one who was likely at the table with Peter and these other Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians. And Barnabas would have been the one just marveling in the work of the Gospel here. Barnabas likely would have been the one looking at that table and going, man, on one side of the table, we've got people who we always considered unclean And then we've got these Jewish believers on the other side. And we've got this food here that that we never would have touched before. And now we are fellowshipping together in the goodness of the Gospel. And Barnabas, son of encouragement, he would have been the one just encouraging that along. But what happens here? Well, I think what happens is Peter... And his sin goes unconfronted for a time. And when we don't confront sin, we comfort those in sin. So so Peter is allowed to sin, and rather than confronting him, people join him. Why? Because no one speaks out. No one says anything about a sin. And when we don't call out sin for what it is, we are saying, it's okay. And when we look to the sin of another and we don't speak out, when we look at sin in our own life and we don't deal with it, we're saying this is acceptable sin. That this is common sin. That this is insignificant sin. It's okay. You ever said or heard? Well, everybody else is doing it. (laughs) What's the big deal? 
Well, what's so wrong? I mean, I mean, I mean all these other people that, that say they're Christians, they don't have a problem with it. So, so why is it such a big deal? It's a big deal when the Scripture says it's a big deal. It's the Word of God that defines sin, not the world that defines sin. Not our feelings, not our heart. If everybody else is doing it, maybe there's an indicator there that we need to second think what it is. Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus says wide is the gate and the road that leads to destruction. So... When we don't confront sin, we comfort people in sin. Peter here, I believe, is comforted as are Barnabas and others. Nobody's speaking out until Paul finally does. And so they just kind of go along with the flow. We also see here, I believe, that when we don't take sin seriously, we teach others not to take sin seriously. See, when we don't confront sin, then we're not taking sin seriously like the Scripture does. And then we are telling others not to take sin seriously. You may remember a number of years ago, several decades ago, I believe, there was a, an anti-drug public service announcement commercial. There was a, I think it was like a, a teenage boy sitting there in his bedroom, and his dad comes in, he's got these drugs in a box, puts them in front of him, it starts just pounding the kid, and, you know, who taught you this, what are you doing, what are you doing? And, and finally, at some point, the dad says something to him like, you know, where did you learn about this? Y'all remember this? kid says i learned it by watching you dad then this voice comes on you know parents who do drugs have kids who do drugs now i think there's a lot of truth there but i think it's there's kind of a lesson there for us you know when when we do things we we teach people by our actions much more than by our words and this is where a lot of us struggle in parenting (laughs) Because essentially what we are communicating to our children often is do as I say, not as I do. Now, what do I mean by that? The the commercial says, well, don't do drugs so your kids won't do drugs. So how do we apply that to faith? Well, don't sin so your kids won't sin? (laughs) Well, that doesn't work really well, does it? Because I'm just looking around. Y'all are a bunch of sinners this morning. And I am too. So... So here's where I think we mess up here. We, we, we kind of fall into this and think, well, the way for my kids not to sin is, is if I don't sin, but we are sinners, so when we sin, we just put on this mask and pretend like we don't. Try, try to cover it up. Ha, I won't go into all the details on this one. Sandy will hear about it in the ocean, on the plane somehow. I have a friend who... In a moment of frustration, said something he shouldn't have said in front of his children. His children, being very aware, listening intently, then called out my friend on this. Dad, did you just say? Well, guess what my friend said? No! I would never say that! You misheard. You misunderstood. That's not what I said. I, I can identify with my friend. I don't know if anybody else here can. But when, when we sin, we get defensive. 
somebody confronts us on our sin, especially our kids, we put on the mask. No. My friend's a preacher too. You know, I'm a preacher. I would never. <laughs> Very close friend. Grew up together. Listen, if, if you don't teach your kids how to rightly deal with sin and repent of sin, if, if you don't do that, you're not teaching them the gospel. I am exhibit A in my family's life for what it looks like to be someone who sins. I need to be exhibit A in my family's life of what it looks like for a sinner to repent. I can preach. You can listen to preaching. We can study the Bible. We can do Bible study after Bible study, family devotion after family devotion. But hear me, the greatest gospel opportunity you will have with your family, with your co-workers, with your neighbors, is when you sin, how you deal with that sin. And to model to someone what it looks like biblically to repent and be broken. To ask forgiveness even from your five-year-old for your sin against them and against others. To rejoice in the riches of the Gospel that Jesus died on the cross for among many other things for dads who would say the wrong thing in front of their kids. And then lines that He didn't say it. There's a gospel opportunity there. But when we don't rightly deal with sin, when we don't take sin seriously by repenting of it, we are teaching others not to take it seriously either. And that happens here in the church in Antioch for a season. But then notice what happens. Paul deals with sin. And in doing so, he teaches Peter and others how to rightly deal with sin. Point four, hypocrites are more concerned with the actions of others them with their own actions. And we see this often in hypocrisy. We see it in this passage. Paul confronts Peter and the others. He sees their, their conduct, again, their walk wasn't consistent with their talk. Their actions weren't consistent with what they knew and what they believed. And so Paul calls them out on this, verse 14. He says to Peter, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What, what is he saying here? Say, Peter... Remember going to Cornelius? Remember a week ago when you were just sitting at the table? You looked like a Gentile. You were eating the food the Gentiles ate. You were a Jew, Peter. You were raised in this tradition. But because of the work of the Gospel, you can live like this Gentile Christian. He's not saying that's a bad thing. But he's calling him out in his hypocrisy by saying, now you've stepped away from that. And now you're a hypocrite. And now you're looking at these Gentile believers and you're telling them they need to be more Jewish. So, see, the Judaizers did this but by telling the Gentile Christians, well, in order to be truly saved, you've got to be circumcised. Peter essentially here is saying, in order to be truly a part of us, you need to stop eating what you're eating. It's unclean. You come over here and and do what we do. Peter here is focusing on what the Gentiles were doing, totally ignoring the sin in his own life. And that's what we do in our hypocrisy. It is much easier 
to note the sin in, someone's el- in someone else's life than it is to deal with your own sin, isn't it? It's easier to look at someone else and say, well, I can't believe they're... What did, did you see? Or the sanctified way. We really need to pray for... A lot easier to do that than to open up this Word and go before a holy God and say, Father, would you... Would you show me the sin in my own heart that I might repent of it? Jesus helps us here. Matthew chapter 7, one of the most misunderstood, misquoted things Jesus ever said. Judge not that you not be judged. Again, you know, I don't recommend the world commentary on this passage. (laughs) Because the world gets it wrong. Sadly, a lot of believers get it wrong because Jesus goes on to say, Well, yes, you should be judging, but here's how you do it. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and not notice the logs in your own eye? Jesus does not say, just go on down the street, law guy, and don't worry about it. Stick to your own business, law guy. Now, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your eye brother's eye Jesus says before you can deal with confronting others in their sin deal with your own sin but the hypocrite doesn't do this because they just want to look at others and not deal with their own sin and this again is anti-gospel Paul writes in Ephesians 5 but when anything is exposed by the light it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Friends, that's what we need today. And so just bringing all this in, consider this. Are are you walking in the truth of the gospel? Is your walk consistent with what you know and what you believe? Are you more concerned with pleasing man or with pleasing God? Are you leading others into hypocrisy? Are you quick to note the sin in someone else's life and not deal with the sin in your own life? Do you know the Gospel, believe the Gospel, and yet your actions do not reflect the truth of the Gospel? Are you a hypocrite? And friends, if you answer yes to any of those things, then I've got good news for you. Our final point, and we'll end with this. Jesus died on the cross for hypocrites. Therefore, we can repent and walk in the truth of the gospel. (laughs) That the great reformer Martin Luther actually viewed this particular passage as one of great comfort to Christians. He said it this way, For it is great comfort for us to hear that even such great saints sinned. Samson, David, and many other celebrated men who were full of the Holy Spirit fell into huge sins. Job and Jeremiah cursed the day of their birth. Elijah and Jonah grew tired of life and prayed for death. Such errors and sins of the saints are set forth in order that those who are troubled and desperate may find comfort. No man has ever fallen so grievously that he could not have stood up again. 
On the other hand, no one has such a sure footing that he cannot fall. If Peter fell, I too may fall. And if he stood up again, so can I. Friends, the question is not, is the church full of hypocrites? The question is this, will we be a church of repentant hypocrites? Will we be a people who will call out sin in our lives and graciously in one another's lives? We will struggle and we will fall, but by the grace of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we can stand up again sure-footed in the truth of the Gospel that we can not only stand in, but that we can walk in. And one of the beauties of what it means to be the member of a local church is that when one falls, two can come along and pick them up. There's nobody in this room without sin. But there may be some people in this room without the gospel. And the call of the gospel to hypocrites and sinners and the rest is to trust in Christ, to come to Him, and He can make us new again. And He can do the work that we cannot so that our walk might match up with our talk. And when it does not, we can repent and He can do the work where our walk can match up with our talk. And when it doesn't, on and on and on again, we can grow in sanctification together. So let's pray to that end. If you would stand with me as we pray. Father, it is very easy for us to put on a mask. For us to play the part of the hypocrite. For us to be struggling and dealing with sin. For us to have darkness in our lives and yet to come into church on Sunday and put on that mask and pretend like everything's okay. <laughs> Lord, we can fool others, but we can't fool You. You know our hearts better than we ourselves know them. And so, Lord, I pray You would deal with us now in response to Your Word. God, if there is sin in our lives, hypocrisy, or anything else that needs to be repented of, I pray that we would repent of it. Lord, if there are burdens in our life that we need to lay before You, I pray that we would do that very thing. Lord, if there is gospel truth that, that, that needs to sink in this morning that's, that's yet to do that, if there's... If there are hearts in this room where the, the, the soil has been hardened and, and not receptive, God, I pray that you would soften it, that, that people might receive it. Lord, I pray you would do the work that only you can do through your Holy Spirit as we respond to your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.